let's let's help everyone update that uh, that directory. Cambry Ellis uh, had an appointment to go to Galvin Shriners Hospital. Uh, certainly in need of prayer, so let's not forget that. Pat Ferris uh, fell and broke a hip. He's back at Andrews, but certainly that's not a an easy issue, and it's a serious one, and he does need our prayers. Cliff Ray, if you don't know Cliff, brother-in-law of Liz Robertson, uh, has a bulging disc. Uh, that can be tough. I've had one, and uh, certainly a need for prayer there. So those, plus all of the other people that's on our prayer list, but those in particular I want to point out, join in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, as we pause this evening and think about our lives, we realize how rich they are, how much you've blessed us. First of all, we just want to thank you for giving us life to live, uh, a Christ to follow, and a heaven to look forward to. We pray, Lord, that you'll use our congregation, such a wonderful congregation. Use us in ways that we don't even know about. Open doors that have never been there before and help us to have courage to step through them. Help us, Lord, to help, help other people come to the cross. Help them to think about salvation and eternity. And we pray, Lord, for those in our group that's sick, relatives and friends. We pray also for their families and the trying times that they're going through. We want you to use us. We want to be useful. We want to be good soldiers for you. We just ask that you bless us with wisdom and courage, fortitude, that we can step forward and protect your church grow your church. And Father, we know that the day will come when it's over for us here. We always pray that you'll take us home to heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, listen to the wonder story. Oh, listen to the wondrous story counted in among the lost. Yet one came down from heaven's glory, saving us an awful cost. Who saved us from eternal? Who but God's Son upon the cross? He died for you. Believe it thou, interceding. No angel can his place have taken, highest of the high throw he. The loved one on the cross forsaken was one of the Godhead three. God's Son upon the cross, He died for you. Believe it thou, interceding. Will you surrender to this Savior, to His scepter humbly bow? You too shall come to know His favor. He will save you, save you now. Who who 
what God's done upon the cross. He died for you. Believe it thou. Ancient words. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart words of life. Words of hope give us strength, help us cope in this world where'er we roam. Ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart holy words of our faith handed down to this age. Came to us through sacrifice. Oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Sing one more. <clears throat> he loves me so. One more song for Leslie's lesson. <clears throat> Why did the Savior heaven leave and come to earth below? Where men His grace would not receive, because He loves me so. He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, this I know. He gave Himself to die for me, because He loves me so. Why did the Savior mark the way, and why temptation know? Why teach and toll and plead and pray, because He loves me so? He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, this I know. 
He gave himself to die for me because he loves me so. Why feel the garden's dreadful dross? Why through his trials go? Why suffer death upon the cross? Because he loved him so. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, this I know. He gave himself to die for me, because he loves me so. Invitation song is 924, Just As I Am. We're going to be in Isaiah, if y'all like to turn there. Thank you. And we're not going to talk about everything in Isaiah, because you, we would be here till midnight or more, and somebody will fall out of a window, and it won't be pretty. Because I can't save you after, uh, after you fall out. But in Isaiah, I think one of the main things that ought to get our attention also is recorded in 2 Kings, I think about 18 and 19. When Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem find themselves surrounded by Sennacherib's army from Assyria. And so, you know, back in that day, well, think about it, 185,000 plus soldiers out there. They don't move anywhere with stealth. They've known that the Assyrian army has been coming through that part of the world. They know and have heard, I am sure, about this city and that town and this territory being overrun by the Assyrians and conquered. And heard stories about their cruelty, heard stories about what went on and all that that goes on. And so they knew, even though they may have been hoping in the back of their minds, maybe they'll turn and go another direction. Maybe they'll take a different road down this way because there was opportunities along the way because they have to make a choice. Should we go here? Should we go here? And so for them to show up on the doorstep of Jerusalem was just disheartening. I mean, it's such a big deal because this was not going to go well. There's no way they were going to match them soldier for soldier. There's no way they were going to be able to, to have any hope in all of this. But the thing is, Isaiah gives an explanation of why that army's out there and, and their hope as well as it comes along. So Isaiah, Isaiah is such a wonderful book. We could spend, the well, we ought to spend the rest of the year in Isaiah, and we would never hit a moment that would be uh, rep- repetitive. It would never feel like it wasn't worth our time because it's so rich and so deep. So I, if y'all need to dive into it and enjoy the, the reading. But I, some of the pictures that are there. Isaiah chapter 6 to me pre- presents, as you have Isaiah in the middle of all this, all that's going on, we find him as a prophet of God. And Isaiah 6 is where we get a picture of that going on. That Isaiah is given a, a vision that is beyond description. Because there, he, in the year that King Isaiah dies, he gets to see the throne of God high and lofty. He gets to, get to see there before God's throne and all that goes on. And, and the seraphim and all that's surrounding God's throne. And as they were there calling to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
And there is no way, there is no way that any of us could stand at that moment and not feel overwhelmed like Isaiah. Because there, that is just a picture that is beyond our comprehension, I believe. But here he is, given that picture, and his response, oh, I, I, I didn't finish what I had there. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, see, you can just, this visual, the auditory, everything that's going on is just a wonderful Beautiful picture. But for, for Isaiah, as he's standing there, when he hears this, what he does is he stands there and he realizes who he is. He is just in stark contrast to where he is. And so he says, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. They've lost the King, but he, is, he, he gets a great reminder of what he already knew, that God is King in all that goes on. And, that, and this is where the angel comes and takes a coal from the, the altar, presses it to his lips and says, your sins have been forgiven, have been taken away. And so we, we get that picture of the re- when we come face to face. And, and you know, here's a side note. I, I made me wonder how well we understand and know God is reflected in how, how humbled we are knowing our sins. But that's just a thought for that. But here Isaiah is just overwhelmed that. So it's only natural when God makes a statement, whom shall I send and who will go for us? If you're in the middle of all that, what are you going to do? And that's what he did. Send me. He has no idea what his job is. He hadn't been told it's more or less, here, I'm going to need somebody to do this. And then he doesn't know what it is. And he says, send me. And then what he's told is, I want you to go. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to go tell these folks, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Your job, he says, is to go out to preach to a lot of people who aren't going to listen to you at all. Your task is just to remind people what they're supposed to already know, but they're going to ignore you. They're not going to change. They're not going to do any different based on what you guys say, but it needs to be said. And so when you look at Isaiah's task that he's called to speak to those who won't listen, then we start hearing what he's charged with saying. I think for, for the prophets, I think they had some of the most difficult roles through in, in God's system because, I mean, you think Isaiah... And you think about when I hear he had, he got to, Hezekiah was a good king, but still the people as a whole had turned away from God. You think about Jeremiah, you think about all these, all these prophets that were sent to go to a lost, for a lost cause, so to speak, to where, are they doing any good? But here Isaiah sent into that. And so his, his job becomes, his task is to talk about all that's going wrong in this world. God is sending him to talk about the sins that gone on. And so we go in chapter 13, he talks about Babylon and tells how he will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. He talks about how he's going to bring judgment on Babylon. He talks about how he's going to bring judgment on Moab, how he's going to bring judgment on Damascus. He's going to bring judgment on Cush, on Egypt, on Edom, on Arabia, on, Arabia, on Tyre. He's going to, he just lays out. And so when, when they hear that message and, and, and Isaiah is talking to him about all of that, you know, you, you realize that 
it's easy to fall into, yeah, tell us how bad all those folks are, but I think there's a purpose in this because the reality is God's going to hold nations responsible for their actions. In 24.1, he he's pretty much says that. He's going to lay waste to the earth and devastate it. He will ruin his face and scatter its inhabitants. He's, he's talking about bringing judgment on the nations, but I don't think that was Isaiah's primary task, even though it's a big chunk in the middle of the book, from about 13 to about... 24 or somewhere in there that he talks about the nations and all that goes on and how God's going to bring judgment on those. But I think Isaiah is told to tell about the judgment of the nations because his primary task is talk about the judgment that's going to be given to Israel and to Judah. You know what happens if, uh, if you start talking to Israel and Judah about their sins and how terrible they are, what a natural reaction would be? What about them? I mean, why are you picking on us? We bring sacrifices to the temple. We sell, we worship God. We, we're here to follow God. But what about all of those terrible, evil people out there? And so it's like God made sure he covered the bases and said, now I'm going to bring judgment on these people. So here, now let's talk about you. And so sometimes I think if we... If we Get distracted. We, we want to have the attention off of us. And I know for them, that's the same thing. And the reason he has to declare judgment on them is, is for them to be, for God to be able to remind them, here's what you've done. They were his children, and they've forgotten him. I mean, he, he says, how in the world do you forget who, who, who created you? He says, they've forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him, that no matter what went on. And so as you go through, when you read through the book of Isaiah, you find out that they were involved in idolatry. In, they have a problem with greed and injustice, complacency, pride, on and on and on, the sins that they committed that they had to be held responsible for unless they would do something about it, but they weren't. And so the sins meant that something had to be done. And so when Assyria comes marching through and overwhelms, we see the, the destruction that's left behind. Your country is desolate. There in verse 7, your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as, as when overthrown by strangers. You know what it takes to feed an army of that size? A whole lot. And they couldn't just order it and have it brought in. They just took from where they were to be able to feed all those folks. And so they, they were facing, in this, they were facing the consequences of their sins. It says, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices of Arisen and the son of Ramalia, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria, with all his pomp, it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. When they looked out there and they saw that army, that huge army surrounding Jerusalem, I imagine it felt like that they were standing in water up to their neck on their tiptoes, hoping not to drown, because it would be overwhelming to, to realize what was just about to happen. Because for that army to be out there meant not very many of them, if any of them, were going to survive what was about to happen. This was not going to go well. And the reason, the reason that army's out there is because of their own sins. Because God is bringing judgment on them. And in fact, you can hear the Assyrian leader saying, God told us. God's the one that sent us here. And in a sense, he was telling the truth. 
He just, the leader of the Syrian army just didn't know the end of the story. But when you look at all that went on and, and all that is there, Isaiah is there to remind them and tell them before it happened, while it's happening, all that goes on, that this is why this is occurring. It's because of what they had chosen and turning their backs on God. Now the thing about it, what happens there when the Syrian army is outside is Hezekiah does something different than, than the nation as a whole did. Different than what Israel had done because Israel gets carted away. But Hezekiah, Hezekiah comes out and says, Lord, we need your help. And because and in that, in his cry to God, God says it will be taken care of. And it says the angel of the Lord at the end of chapter 37 went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. I love this next sentence. When the people got up the next morning, morning there were all dead bodies. There were, there were all the dead bodies. I you go from a huge army to all of a sudden a big task to have to bury all of these bodies. But God took care of the problem. And it, it talks about how the, the leader of the Syrians went back home and was murdered and all that went on. But here God has always been one to step in when they're willing to come to him and ask for help. I mean, that's what the call for Assyria has been, is that, that he has been calling them to come back on and on. Said so one day, says, my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. He, he's, he's always talking about one day this is going to change. You may be seeing that now, but, and here's the reason for it, but one day... I'm going, to, I'm going to rescue. One day I'm going to bring back. And so he lays out that one day as it comes along. They, in all of this, God has always desired to bring them back to him and to, to be there for them. In, verse 30, in chapter 30, verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. When you have a, an invasion of your country and it's all coming in and everything, nothing's going well, and God is saying, oh, I want... I want to be gracious to you. I want to be compassionate with you. And so Isaiah gets to express what God wants, what his desire is for his people. But the, the hang-up, the barrier between what was going on and Assyria invading and them being restored back to God, there was something in between that needed to happen. And God told them that over and over again. In chapter 1, verse 16, is one of the places it says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God wanted to bring them back. He wanted to forgive them and, and bring them back into his fold. And his desire was always for that to go on. So he, he calls for them to change over and over again. That they're doing this, that they need to be here. That they need to have a change of heart. They need to have a change in the way that they're living. And all that goes on. And their hope, their hope always was to turn back to God. They turned away from him. And turning back to God was where they were going to find their salvation. So chapter 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. 
His call to the nation was for them to do what Hezekiah did in that moment, was that they would turn back to God and say, Lord, we need you, and we need your help. You're our only hope. And that, that's what had been all along, was for, for them to, to be back with them. And, and the, the thing is, is for them to do that was to be able to admit they're the ones that were the problem. They were the ones that had turned away from God. They were the ones that had forgotten who they were. And that's humanity in all time, isn't it? That's where we can find ourselves. Is that we look at Judah, we look at Israel, and how they'd forgotten God and made choices that were contrary to what he had in mind. And he says, here's where we are. Now, the, the wonderful thing about Isaiah I hope you all realize how many verses I cut out of this so I didn't keep you forever. But the wonderful thing about Isaiah is how it speaks to us. Isaiah wasn't just talking to them and then we go back and learn some principles. Isaiah spoke to us as well. Now, we see so many verses, and this is just one, where we get to read it in Isaiah, and then we get to hear it later on in the New Testament. Y'all remember who spoke this one? These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Who quoted that one? Jesus did. There are so many verses all through the New Testament where we get to hear Isaiah, where we get to hear echoes of Isaiah. And, and, and all of that, even in the moment, we get to hear parallels of Isaiah speaking in the moment, but then there's a double meaning to it as well. Isaiah chapter 7, and talking about the problem that was going on, then he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now see, the thing is, you had had a uh, uh, threat of, oh, I've got too many names in my head. Well, threat of a couple countries thing, you better, you know, you better... Get on, get with us, give us what we want, or we're going to come in and beat you up. Okay, you all got that picture? And, and Isaiah comes to us and, you know, look, God's going to give you a sign. There, this virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and we'll call, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Now, you all hear that, but the, in that context, he's talking about a child's going to be born, and before that child gets old enough to be able to, to say what needs to be said, to, to, you know, all that goes on, those kings are going to be gone. But we know that verse as later on talking about Jesus. And so we get to, in chapter 9, it's the same kind of thing. You all have probably have heard this one where he talks about uh, the darkness is there. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You all that bring some echoes of familiarity? Again, talking about Jesus. Uh, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, Isaiah has so much there for us to hear about Jesus and who he is and, and all the promises that God has given to us. And it's called for us because I think in a sense, as, Isaiah, as Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem were surrounded by an army that was there because of what they had chosen, because of the rebellion against God. It was God that was going to take that away from them. 
And for us in our lives, how many times do we feel like we have been overwhelmed by by things in life, but we look at them and we realize we're the ones that put ourselves in the middle of that. And we're needing God. And I think it's, it's well, it, this says chapter 53, but it's the last, last about three or four verses of chapter 52, and then all of chapter 53. If, if we never learn anything about Isaiah, these are the verses to learn. Because here is where God talks about our hope. This is where God talks about our, our rescue from where we put ourselves. And he, he talks, about, talks about Jesus, his servant. We get into chapter 53 where he says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He gives a snapshot of who Jesus is. And then he goes on in in verse 4 on down through the end of the chapter and starts talking about what he does and his impact on us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And so when we're in that moment of wrestling with with all that goes on around us and knowing that it's me that's caused this, it was my choices away from God that brought this about. It, it was my choices and what I've said and where I've gone and when I turned away from God that brought this about. And my rescue, my salvation is found in what God is able to do in Christ. And we could just sit there in chapter 53 and soak it in. And it's so good. Because it's That's what we need to be reminded of so many times. I think the challenge, what what Judah and Israel did so many times, is they forgot what they needed as opposed to what they wanted. You know what kings of that time did, or the people of that time did, when they had an army threatening them and coming down to attack them? So Assyria is coming down from the north. You know what the temptation is? Find somebody else who can counter that and make an alliance. Egypt was one they would run to so many times. They would try to find some country, some power that could take care of the threat. And so they would pledge their loyalty to this country or that country or or wherever it needed to be. Or whether it was this God or that God trying to find something, someone who would save them in the middle of all the trouble that went on. But the thing is, is that that... That was their want, was to try to take care of it as opposed to what they needed was to turn back to God and trust Him. How many times through their history had God stepped in and rescued them from this power or that? And we forget sometimes how much we really need God. Maybe I should say, I forget sometimes as opposed to we. How much God is our core need in life. There are so many things in this world that we feel like we need them. They're not going to take care of what is going on. God gives an invitation in chapter 55. Just as a reminder that we go chasing off things that we think is going to satisfy what's going on in us. And so he says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. To the people that weren't inclined to hear, that was their hope. Listen. Hear what God tells us. Come and get what we need as opposed to what we want. We could probably do Isaiah for the next 30 Sunday nights. And it's still so good. It's a reminder of what God has done, the promises He's made to us, and how He's faithful to those promises is what we need to grab a hold of. We need to grab, grab on to what God promises. Put Him on a baptism. Or maybe you just need to turn back to Him. I can pray with you and for you if you need that. We'll come now as we stand and sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to Supper's prepared in the fellowship hall.
you were unable to partake, you can make your way there now while we sing our closing song, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Time is filled with swift transition, not of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal, hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand, hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Trust in Him who will not leave you. So whatsoever years may bring, if by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to Him cling. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, Fair and bright the home in glory, your enraptured soul will view. Hold to God's unchanging hand, hold to God's unchanging hand, build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Let's pray. Father, you do not change. You are the God that has been forever. Long before you created earth and created time and placed us in time. And we acknowledge you as the one and only true and living God. We know that your promises are true, and we uh, are confident that uh, when you say something, it's going to happen, and your promises will be fulfilled. Father, it's that that gives us hope, hope for a day that we will spend with you. Uh, Strengthen our faith, help us to learn to love one another more, and uh, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Father, we do ask that you remember our, our sick our suffering. Uh, Bless them. Give them strength to uh, get through the tough days. Help us to strengthen them any way that we can. Father, we do thank you for the rain you're giving us. and uh, uh, We just count that as another blessing that uh, shows that you care for us. Father, be with us as we go back out into our community and help us to spread this good news that we have with our friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.